Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast about value-based healthcare and the people who make it happen. This week, Joe and Josh go international again for a conversation with Jeff Huggins from the National Health Service of Scotland. It's a wide-ranging discussion about the challenges and approaches in the Scottish system as they try to standardize electronic health data and improve patient care, and some of the lessons we can learn for our own healthcare system. Enjoy. Welcome to the ACO Show. This is Joe Shonquiler. I lead adoption and training here at Allidaid. I'm Josh Israel, the medical director here at Allidaid. And we're very pleased to have Jeff Huggins with us here today. Jeff, you're the director of NDS. What is that? So it's the NES Digital Service. It's um, it's it's a new um, department within the NHS in Scotland, um, which is designed to which has been commissioned to work to develop a national digital platform for Scotland. And the NHS is the National Health Service there. Yeah, it's the it's the public deliverer of healthcare within Scotland. Excellent. Well, one of the reasons that we're so excited to have you with us today is you're working on a large data project across the entire country of Scotland that has some key uh, components that are similar to what we were doing at Allidaid and the digital transformation we're seeing in the U.S., so why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and, and what you've been working on there at, at NDS? Yeah, well, we're basically trying to do um, three three broad things. We're on the basis of work that we did in 2017, the beginning of 2018, we identified that there were a lot of barriers to how clinicians were able to offer good quality care, um, but also that citizens were unable to manage their health using technology and with the change that we've seen in other areas of life, um, people are, I guess, disappointed with the progress that we've made. And we identified that we needed to to be able to do three things, three broad broad um, deliverables. First, that we needed to ensure that clinicians had the information that they needed at the point of care. Um, they didn't have to go and rummage around for it in files or click lots of links. It would just be available for them. That there should be a predictable architecture that would allow for innovation so when we develop new services that we can apply them right across Scotland without having to customize them hundreds of times but also that we should be able to work with data at scale to support both quality and also support research. In this country uh, in the surprisingly recent past the government gave providers money to digitize their offices it was called the meaningful use program where providers would get money to implement electronic health record software we're now at a point where even though there are still some flaws in it, they're getting better, but they still don't talk to one another. But you can see in the genesis of it why they don't talk to one another, because it was just vendors selling something to each office that didn't have to communicate. How in Scotland is it that you ended up in a similar situation where you have lots of different systems that don't easily communicate? Well, healthcare in Scotland is, while it comes under the auspices of the NHS Scotland, is delivered by a number of local boards. Um, we've got 14 territorial boards and eight national boards providing national services. And while in, in many cases we began with the same technology, whether it's a, um, a you know, hospital management system or a primary care system, over time what happened was in each of these areas these became slightly adapted. You know, people would be responsive to clinician needs. A, a different choice would be made here or there. And, and the result of that is 10 years down the line, we now have effectively 14 separate systems running in Scotland. Um, where if citizens move from one area to another or even within one area between primary and secondary care, it, it's difficult to track their information. And 
we, we end up with lots of work workarounds, and the you know the people who've been running and managing the system have done very well to actually keep it flowing as well as it has done. But at the same time, it's not giving us the step into the future that we want. It's interesting because here, one of the barriers that I'd always thought was the case is that the the EHR vendors have no incentive to speak to one another. They have essentially a walled garden where they have their their paying customers, and why would you open it up to somebody that could then take your data and go elsewhere? But you don't have that incentive, right? Well, most of the technology at the moment within Scotland is delivered by the larger vendors, including some of the North American ones. And certainly it's in their interest to can maintain the system in its current form. And we, we, you know, we've certainly seen that over the last period of time. We've seen them um, look to you know, offer updates to current systems to suggest that they might move to a national version of the, the systems which are offered in slightly different ways. But the, you know, the scale of change in doing that is significant. And I think taking a, a step back and rethinking the technology, um, we can do more. You touched on the scale there. Give us a sense of the what that means with those 14 different boards. How many patients are we talking about? Roughly how many providers? So we've got um, 5.4 million people within Scotland. Um, you know, we consider that to be our citizen group. The patient group is the, the population of um, Scotland. Within within healthcare, we then have the, the 14 territorials as well as the NHS 24 and the Scottish Ambulance Services, which are national services which mm-hmm. offer um, unscheduled care support. Um, within that, then largely services are pri- provided by people directly employed by the NHS, although with some exceptions to that, such as um, optometrists, um, general practitioners mm-hmm. and, and others. So. And is there anything analogous to what we're trying to do with accountable care organizations where you um, are working against a, a, a benchmark cost number uh, and trying to maintain quality while keeping costs constrained? Yeah, certainly over the last six, seven years, what we've seen in Scotland is a move towards what's described in the UK as integrated care. And uh, my previous role, I was the director of health and care integration in Scotland. Um, and so as a senior official responsible for that. And, and it had a focus on moving beyond organizational and institutional silos to actually understand how we could bring the value of all the resources that are available to bear on the citizens. So you know, the challenge that Nicola Sturgeon, the current first minister, laid, laid down at the beginning of the program was um, we needed to move beyond um, seeing the, the interests of particular organizations and instead understand how we would use resources irrespective of where they were allocated to provide value. Our, our, our metric is probably not money. Our metric has always been quality and outcomes, um, whether that's safety or clinical value. Well, but broadly, it comes down to helping people live the lives that they want to live. And where do the metrics come from that measure quality? There's a number of metrics. So the, the legislation that created um, Integrated Care in Scotland identified a number of items, whether those were around healthy life expectancy, around experience of care. But very much, um, we've we've worked in Scotland with the IHI over a number of years. Um, My previous boss is the director of the IHI in Boston. And so we've we've very much followed the quality models um, which have come out of that. So that's the Institute for Health Improvement. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, access, safety, uh, personalization and equity, you know, those are very much you know, at the heart of what we try to do in Scotland. And then are providers in some way incentivized to meet those metrics? So pr- providers are, um, I, I guess providers are less seen as externals than within our system um, in that, you know, the, um, you know on, on a monthly basis, the, you know, the chief exec of the NHS in Scotland, Malcolm Wright, will sit down 
with all the chief execs of the health boards on the basis that they're engaged in a shared objective um, and it's, it's probably less transactional than elsewhere. At, at the same time, the expectation is that they're to provide quality and there's accountability within that. So trying to have that idea of collaboration, but also understanding the co particular contributions that people need to make. So it's, it's again, it's slightly differently structured. It's more like, I guess, we're a very, very large ACO and you're sitting around the board table trying to encourage all of the directors to um, make their contribution. And from when you started to now, how have you built this infrastructure to use data to inform and, and make that process work? In, in terms of the, the, the quality elements of it and understanding that, um, that's one of the areas which we invested in through the process. Um, both in developing new data sources, but also being able to link data uh, across the system. So for a number of years, for the purposes of understanding the dynamics of how people flow through the system, we've been able to effectively track those journeys um, so that we can identify, um, I, I guess, how people have experienced care. So we, we can um, reach into the system and you know, pull out the... Um, understanding of the number of people who have been admitted and of the number who have been admitted, average length of stay, and then future destination, which en enables us, and maybe a good example of that is the work we've done in the west of Scotland around um, over 65s admitted to hospital. Uh, and when we do the data mining in that, we identify two key pathways, one of which is frailty and fracture, and the other of which is um, dementia and psychiatry of old age. And that's 90% of the people over 65 who are hospitalized. And so that tells us develop good dementia community services and work on frailty. Um, and so we invested um, around that area, but also in terms of um, data scientists and data support for boards, because simply having data doesn't always give you the best outcomes. Sometimes it needs interpretation. So that, that area, I guess, is you know, that knowledge of how the system is functioning, the, the dynamics has become part of how we understand the system, but it's probably different from the work that we're doing now, which is around how we then provide clinicians day-to-day -day data to support how they actually provide care with, to the person in front of them, rather than the more abstract um, population you know, within which they're working. The data handoff is something that uh, is, is very interesting. I'd love to, to dig into that one more layer, that you started out by looking at these big populations across whole regions. And then how did that handoff of data on things like uh, uh, the uh, aged care or fractures get pushed out to the boards? Was it by white papers? Was it, you know, hey, we've seen these trends centrally, we want to share them with you? So, so part of my, my, my previous role, one of the things which we would do is we would go out and meet with each of the partnerships at least once a year and we'd sit down with the because because effectively these within Scotland are partnerships of local government you know, municipalities and the NHS boards so we would sit down with the chief exec of each of those organizations and their um, and their chief officer for integration and potentially other members of their senior team and, and we would effectively we would provide them with data about the dynamics of things which were going on in, in their system but often a lot of it focused around unscheduled care. So we would offer data on admissions, length of stays, delayed transfers of care um, to help them understand um, what was going on within their system, but also to relate it to what was going on elsewhere. Um, 
because our, our, our experience is that people believed that their experience was the same as others' experience. But as we looked into Scotland, you identify boards in the West tend to be larger number of hospital beds, um, higher number of admissions, higher number of attendances, shorter length of stay. So quite a fast cycling system. When you look in the, in the East, it's lower number of beds, longer length of stay, greater likelihood of delay. Uh, and you know, again, trying to get under the skin of what's actually going on within those complex systems is is challenging. But the first stage of that is to hold a mirror up and say, "This is what we're seeing." Uh, we don't know if this is good or bad, or what the right length of stay is or the wrong length of stay is. But you need to understand that what's happening here is different from what's happening elsewhere. You mentioned accountable care organizations, so it sounds like you're at least to some degree familiar with some of the American healthcare debates. And one of the things I've been struck by in working in the U.S. healthcare system is how little we try to import things from other countries, and likely some of that is due to the American jingoism, but it, it also is simply, I think, that it's hard to just import pieces of this massive, complicated machine without upsetting the balance of the whole rest of the machine. Um, do you think that there are things that we could be learning from one another that can actually be applied in the manner that these complex organic systems have developed? So, so I, I think it's it's very important that we um, take the time to understand what is happening elsewhere. Um, you know, my, my, myself, fundamentally, I believe that all this change, all change is local. And, and, and the idea that you can simply find solutions elsewhere, which you'll take into your system, is, is naive and misguided. So I, I, you know, I've certainly found benefit from understanding the process around affordable care in North America. Um, also, how you organize your services at the same time, I probably wouldn't seek to import your model of care. Um, but understanding the different dynamics and how people operate within your system has been very valuable. Nearly all the change process, nearly all the value that you look to create in this area is about how people work with people. And that's not a drag and drop solution. And it, what I found striking is a lot of the metrics that you uh, were mentioning there are things that we follow here. So length of stay, uh, the quality metrics that you mentioned. So you know, our goal is to keep patients healthy and, uh, and to do everything we do to help practices and their patients. So um, I think there's more overlap than sometimes we, uh, we get, uh, we think there is for things like this. It, it, it's, it's interesting that though, because those metrics are very much process metrics. So we can tell you how fast somebody moved through, through the system and we can tell you whether they lived or died, but we can't tell you much about the quality of their experience or relate the um, longer term outcomes, we we might have a survey piece of data in respect of a person which says that they um, were um, pleased about the quality of, of their care, and many people do say that. Um, but the, the challenge is that we don't have um, sufficient um, availability of patient reported outcomes. We're not able to track some of the more granular data, such as um, you know, maybe, um, I guess we're beginning to see it with things like glucose monitoring, but you know, breathlessness or frailty or the, these things which can change from day to day or week to week and which should be part of our understanding of the person to offer good quality care are displaced by the, you know, the focus on some of the harder metrics. I would have guessed that you actually had much more granular care, but I, I believe I read recently that, that in the NHS there's the problem that providers are not billed based on procedure codes or number of diagnoses or even what the diagnoses are. And so they're much less careful at times in terms of what they put in the record. 
Yeah, we, we've certainly seen that. And I, I guess if I go back about 10 years to some work which we were doing on dementia, we were trying to identify the number of people being admitted to hospital over 65 with a diagnosis of dementia. And the story at that time we were told was it, it's almost nobody. It's one or two percent. Although when, if we went out and actually visited locations, um, what we'd find is that the clinicians on the ward would say it's you know one in three, one in four. Um, and you know, that took us to needing to sort of give a bit of visibility to the difference between what clinicians were saying and what was being reported. And, and I guess at that point, um, it was becoming more um, significant in policy terms, but also in quality terms as the challenges around dementia were becoming more apparent in terms of the broader you know, system response to dementia. So, so there, there's always a way into this, um, and quite often it is about the degree to which people um, consider their um, position to be valid or that um, are aware of the patients who are in their care. Uh, and so, um, so we were able to work through that process, but through a different methodology than um, paying people to code. Because I guess the flip side of paying people to code is the more you code, um, the more you're paid. And that may not be of great value to citizens. One of the things that we believe very strongly here is to provide more data uh, to providers and their teams at the point of care when they're about to see patients or seeing patients um, allows them to prioritize better and understand who the highest need patients are for any given service or, or things like annual wellness visits, which is a, a key part of our work here. Um, how do you think about that in your system and, and taking the data right to the provider level? Yeah, I, th I think that's that's certainly one of the, the challenges. Um, at, the, at the moment, we're very much structured in terms of access and referrals. And while there'll be some clinical prioritization in that those who need to be seen first will be seen first, and you know, we're, we're co very confident that is what happens within Scotland, at the same time, people are being seen who probably don't need to be seen at all. Um, and so the methods that we have to understand what a person's needs are, what their con what their condition is, um, are very blunt. It's um, you see a general practitioner who's a gatekeeper who might make a referral. And if you're on a referral list, you'll then wait a period until you see a secondary care physician. And we're beginning to work through the process about how we can produce better data at an earlier stage and change the relationship of the citizen such that you can either deal with the case quickly through a telephone call, provide some self-care support, or accelerate somebody more quickly through the system who would benefit um, from an earlier intervention. But until we have the, the data systems, whether that's um, self-reported information, whether it's the ability for the citizen to take an, an image and upload it so it can be viewed remotely, yeah. a whole series of different ways into that. But you know, effectively seeing this as, you know, 100 or 200 different small problems that need to be solved to get to the point at which you're highly customizing the response to the individual in front of you, whether they're actually in the room with you or sitting in their um, study at home. In the progression, as we talked about going from that regional level down to the individual physicians delivering the care, do you see then extending into the individual patient level as the next stage or will that happen in parallel with all of this? I think there's a there's a large demand for it, um, although some of the challenges around how we engage with citizens are quite interesting um, in that the reasons why people access healthcare are, are not always just because they want to be fixed. Um, people are often seeking assurance or validation. Uh, people quite often aren't really sure if they have a problem. Um, certainly my, you know, my, my background in mental health 
you know, one of the key areas of concern that people have is because they don't often talk about what's going on. They don't always know how to benchmark themselves. You know, they quest, the broad question in their mind is, should I be worried about this? Should I be very worried about this? Or is this just normal? Um, and so, so the process by which citizens engage is different from, um, it's not all, always the case that they're looking for a technical fix. And I think that brings a degree of sophistication to how we actually engage with citizens, which is, I guess, less mechanical and less scientific than we might have previously understood. It, in, in terms of the, the simple question is, we have to get into that relationship sooner rather than later, because it will inform all of the other things that we do if we are a, in a people-centered organization. In this country, we think very hard with most things about incentives, that if something is properly incentivized, it will happen, and if it's not, it may not happen at all. And so one of the things that ACOs are trying to do is switch the incentives from doing more, giving more diagnoses, procedures, et cetera, um, and getting paid for that to getting paid for outcomes. And that seems to be one of the, the biggest challenges to do right now. But you don't have that in your system. You're not trying to change from uh, incentives for doing stuff versus incentives for outcomes. What would you say is the, is the shift that you are trying to accomplish? But there's, there's probably a, a number of elements around that. Certainly the, the work that we've seen around integration, part of it is driven by the degree to which different parts of the system might be seen to have externalized people to other bits of the system. And so decisions um, are made in primary care, the result of which is people end up in secondary care. And people are in secondary care but might have been provided with better care in the community. So some of it's about the dynamics of how organizations have related to each other and to citizens. I, th I think that's a key component of it. Um, be beyond that, the, you know, the idea of incentives it itself is really interesting. Uh, when we speak with clinicians, clinicians see much of the policy landscape around them as noise and, and as something that they're required to tolerate but their motivations are, their, their explicit motivations are often um, very public-spirited, very public-orientated. Um, it's a really strong and genuine narrative there. But also intrinsically, they want to be good at what they do. And deep down, they know what being good means. It doesn't mean always filling in all forms. It means ensuring that people receive the best quality care. People have got a good intuitive idea of that. So we need to tap into that. There's a real, um, I, I think sometimes the way in which we've organized care frustrates that. Um, and there is a large body of clinicians of all um, types out there who really just want to be unleashed to offer better care. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And arming them with the right data and actionable insight to deliver that care is you know, a worthy mission no matter where where it's coming from. Um, I'm, I'm curious, given that you um, you mentioned that you dealt with the, the mental health side previously, um, how did you end up leading this effort? Uh, are you a, a data geek uh, at home or in your free time? What's your what's your big uh, what was the big shift for you? So, so I've always been I've always been interested in data. I've you know, I've, I've, I've always um, sought to, to use it in the different forms of policy work that I've done. It, I guess elements of this are probably um, a combination of happenstance and focus. And focus. So the, the, you know, the happenstance is that in the middle of 2017, 
um, for external reasons. I, in addition to my integration role, I became head of digital health and care at the Scottish Government as well and became involved in preparing and completing the Scottish Government strategy on digital health and care. And through that process, identified that there was work to be done. Um, that's the that's the the happenstance in terms of the um, the focus. The trying to identify the part of the system where you could apply most leverage to get the biggest improvement. At the moment, my I would identify that technology is that place within our system. You know, that's the place where we've got the biggest opportunity to change people's experience of care. And it changed the quality of the outcomes that we deliver. And it's it's quite an interesting choice. So it's a choice to step outside um, a seat in Scottish Government, to go and sit in a building somewhere a bit further away, um, initially with two other people, and start from that point um, in the belief that you can actually produce the scale of change. So it's a slightly scary endeavour. <laughs> You mentioned that some of the American vendors for electronic health records uh, are part of what provides the systems for your providers over there. Uh, ours were originally created often to capture billing, to capture procedure codes, and they were very effective at that, but they have not been very good as population health tools. Do you have any EHRs in any of your sections where they grew up in a way that was intended to make use of the vaster data that you do have so that population health is part of the electronic health record? So, so, I, so I think it's a really interesting question. And, and, and what, what I would say is for different reasons within the UK, we've seen a similar style of vendor product, whether it's about efficiency and management. Um, so it, it, it's been a product which focus on, focuses on process and time and capture and administration. We don't have products which are designed to support clinical workflow in the same way. And what we then find is that people bolt on or try and adapt these information systems, these management systems to provide clinical tools and workflow. So part of the objective that we have with NDS, with the work that we're doing, is to invert that and to begin from the process of understanding the different clinical workflows on the basis that we should then be able to track the data, the monitoring and quality that flows out of those workflows rather than the other way around. And that gives primacy back to the clinical engagement over the administration process. This has just been eye-opening for me in the sense that, as we on the show have talked to people who work in healthcare systems beyond our own, I would have thought that if you gave me a system where the incentives were aligned, where uh, there weren't concerns about malpractice, where you could have a centralized uh, body to determine elect health, electronic health record standards, it would just be so easy. And it's just clear that big systems are complicated and providing great health care is hard. People are complicated. We really appreciate your coming to speak to us. This has been great. Thank you. I've really enjoyed talking to you.